0: I like rocks. <laughs> I have always collected interesting stones or rocks with unique shapes or colorations. One rock I have treasured for a while. I first received riding the elevator. I was 12 years old and attending my first denominational conference for the Church of the Brethren, my home denomination. I was riding the elevator from our hotel lobby or from our hotel room to the lobby with my grandparents. It was my first annual conference, and bless them. But the conference planners want everyone to know that you're new and that it's your first conference. So they pin this bright pink ribbon to your name tag that's like, my first conference. (laughs) And I was very excited for the conference, but I was also 12 (laughs) and nervous for new situations. And I had this flashing sign screaming, look at me, pay attention to me, I'm different which 12 year olds love. (laughs) We were riding down the elevator with a teenage boy and he was navigating a conference by himself. Like how cool, how grown up. Before he walked off the elevator, he handed me a red, shiny, heart-shaped rock. He said something like, here you go, have a great week. And the elevator doors opened and he was gone. I was confused but thought this is a pretty cool way to be welcomed to annual conference. But later that night in worship, I learned that my little heart-shaped rock had other little heart-shaped rock friends all around the conference center. And the rock that I had been gifted was not meant to be truly mine, but was something that I offered to another throughout the week of conference, passing the love of God on and on. The theme of the conference that year was love God and love neighbor. And we were invited to give and receive love through these little offerings. Now perhaps the hope is that the rocks were passed at just the right time. I received mine as a warm welcome when I was feeling anxious and nervous. Perhaps someone else received one after some difficult news from home or in the midst of a trying business session, because we know those denominational business sessions can be a lot. (laughs) Then the hope is that love breaks forth, maybe unexpectedly and just at the right moment and maybe from a source that we weren't expecting. The miracle that God shared with the Israelites came at just the right time. One thing I know for certain is that God's timing is often not our timing, and that's really annoying. (laughs) The Israelites have run out of water and are in desperate need. They have stopped to set up camp, but where they have stopped has no flowing streams or springs to speak of. There is no water. They begin to quarrel with Moses and tell him, give us water to drink. There are probably a lot of sermons that could focus on the quarrelsome and complaining nature of the Israelites and have a whole sermon about that. But having no water to drink is a desperate need. I'm not going to spend much time with that because God doesn't spend any time with that, with their quarreling. When Moses says, what shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. God simply asks Moses to care for the people in his charge and provide for them. He gives them clear instructions to take his staff, which was used in a miracle at the Nile, and to take it to strike a rock so water may come out. There's no mention of complaining or deriding the people for not being faithful enough. He, God simply asks their leader to provide water for them to drink. The quarreling seemed to really have an impact on Moses, though, because he names the rocky spot, Massa and Mirabah as Sam read, meaning testing and quarreling, respectively. Oftentimes, our anxieties, as my seminary president likes to share, squirt, which I don't really like that word, but they squirt, <laughs> they squirt on to other people. Our anxieties can squirt out of us And Moses was on the receiving end of a lot of people's anxieties and fearfulness about their lives. But I'm wondering, wasn't Moses also concerned about having water to drink? Wasn't Moses also fearful about the children, their collective future, and the livestock, their security, dying? Moses even asked them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? The testing of the boundaries of the relationship between the Israelites and God of all creation reminds me of the ways that we suss out boundaries of particular relationships. Maybe between children and parents, or you and your friends, or you and loved ones. Maybe we think, will you still love me if I quarrel and am difficult? Will you turn away from me like I know you will and confirm all the worst things I think about myself? God of all creation, will you hear us quarreling with Moses for water and disappoint us like we know you will in the same ways that Pharaoh did? We can play these self-fulfilling prophecy games in our head that suggest we're not worthy of love, but the God of all creation does not entertain them. Someone who has come to know us well can see between the lines of this difficult behavior, this quarreling or acting out, and know that a different need or longing lies beneath the surface. Can we trust you, God of all creation? We have to ask because we have been burned before. Through God's response to their pleas, They learn that this God can handle their quarreling. This God can withstand their questions and testing. God pays no mind to their quarreling, even though this isn't the first time that God has provided whatever they need at the right time. The Israelites keep coming up against life or death situations, running from the Egyptians, no food in the desert and again no water, and determining what God's response will be to their needs. They have been provided for up to this point. Why don't they trust already? I think they carry the wounds and trauma of their time in Egypt, of forced labor, generational impacts of losing their firstborn sons to Pharaoh years ago. Pharaoh has worked all these years for their destruction. How can they trust that this God will work for their good? And in what ways will this God work for their good? What will they have to sacrifice or endure to receive this God's blessing? But God doesn't respond with anger or disappointment in their quarreling. God blesses them with another miracle in the wilderness. Not only does God provide them water, but God provides them water from a rock. Now, I I am always amazed when I go camping or go for walks when water bubbled up from the ground in the form of a spring, which we used to have on our property. I don't know if folks know, but we have a spring near the overlook. But this water pours forth from rocks. At the beginning of this section, Moses cries out to God that the people are about to stone him. And God responds, that is so cool. God responds by taking the item that was meant for death in this moment and turning it into something life-giving. The item that people had in their hand to stone Moses becomes the item from which the people receive their blessing. Not only does God provide, but God transforms the surroundings meant for death into ones for life. Are you standing in a valley surrounded by rocks? Even worse, are you experiencing times when those stones aren't just endemic to a lifeless landscape, but actually meant or intended for your harm? Whether they're in another's hands to hurt you or you're using them to hurt yourself? Are you sitting in a wasteland with rocks all around you, weighing you down, hurting you, being pelted at you? God, I sure hope not. But if you are, know that it's okay to ask, God, are you in our midst or not? Give us something to drink. Give me life in the midst of this arid landscape. I am very, very grateful for the Richmond Hill community, because in my short time here, given its history, and in my experience, this community has doored a lot of rocky landscapes. Not to mention those of you that have weathered this community through COVID and a full capital campaign and the countless difficulties of 35 years of starting and growing an amazing organization. But in the difficulties we face together in the short time that I've been here, I'm so grateful for how this community pours into the people of our community, whether it's residents or staff or the broader Richmond Hill community, how they pour into Richmond and in this sacred place. In this log of daily chores, laughter and joy breaks forth as we share together. In the middle of difficult conversations about race and history and complicity, grace flows in the midst of those tensions. God can break open the difficult circumstances and pour forth love, grace, and frankly, a miracle that we couldn't see coming. How is God using you to break into someone else's rocky landscape? How are we together breaking forth into rocky systems that pelt and possess people? We need life-giving water, and we can also be that for someone else. In the midst of Moses' anxieties about leading a people, turning on him at each step of the way, God gives him a reminder too. God tends to him as well. He tells Moses to take his staff, which protected the Israelites as they fled from Pharaoh, and tells him, I will be standing there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. We might remember that Horeb is a special place. It is the place where Moses had the experience of the burning bush and was given the 12 commandments from God. Horeb is a special place for God and Moses. And perhaps receiving another miracle here is a reminder to Moses that God is standing with him always. That God has called him to do this hugely significant, hugely difficult thing. And that God has not forgotten him. I often find that when I'm feeling frustrated with God that I can flip back through my journal and be reminded of the sacred moments that God has shown up in real ways for me, even when I wasn't aware of it at the time. And I wonder for you, what are those touchstone moments in your life where you are assured that God is with you, that you can remember that God has never left you? Because the arid moments will come where we doubt that God is near and that God is yearning for our good And sometimes we need those special reminders that the Most High is with us in the Most Low and is standing there in front of you. The God of all creation hears the cries of their people in the wilderness. God hears our quarreling and knows the desperation and the need that lies beneath. And God responds with bringing life from death and order from chaos. Do not be afraid to demand water to drink. Do not be afraid to demand the things that lead to life. Because your questioning may lead to the very thing you are searching for in a place that you could not have anticipated. Your challenging convention may bust open some rocky places to bring healing and wholeness. May you be willing to demand water to drink for yourself and for others, And remember that God is always standing before you. May it be so. Amen. Amen.